0: Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk a network for early career researchers.
1: Hello and welcome to the fourth and our final AIC 2019 podcast recording from Los Angeles. I'm Adam Smith and I'm pleased to be hosting this today for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. Today I'm joined by Dr. James Pickett from the Alzheimer's Society, Dr. Claire Lancaster from the University of Oxford and Dr. Emily Maguire from Cardiff University. Uh, I should particularly say thank you to to, um, Claire who came in at very short notice, a few days, and even... Bigger thanks to Emily, who didn't realize she was doing this till an hour ago, uh, when Oz Ismail, who was planning to join us, if you read that on Twitter, um, unfortunately hasn't been able to attend because there's a talk he, he nearly needs to go to. So thank you very much, everybody, for skipping the last session today to join us. Um, maybe we could start by just doing a little bit of a round table so you can introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about yourself and your work. So, James, do you want to go first? Yeah,
2: good day to everybody. I'm uh, James Pickett. I'm the head of research at the Alzheimer's Society, um, one of the large funders of dementia research in the UK. Um, and so I oversee a program that both funds research, galvanizes research, makes sure that people with dementia are involved in research, and... Um, Work to really try to make sure that the work that we fund has the most impact for the people that that need uh, results uh, to support them.
1: Thanks, James. And you've been here all week as well, haven't you? I you have. Yes,
2: uh, I've been here since Friday. I think we're on Thursday now, and aren't you, we? I've,
1: and I've seen you diligently running around in and out of every session. I've not once seen you kind of asleep on a chair somewhere, unlike. No, not like the other two, but unlike some people who are here, <laughs> so well done.
2: Thank you. Yes, in it's and a um... real achievement on day, uh, <laughs> day five. Um,
1: Claire.
0: Hi. Um, so I work at the University of Oxford. Um, I'm an experimental psychologist by background, and I'm really interested in kind of digital phenotyping and how we can use kind of um, accessible tools to measure cognition more sensitively at scale and kind of a general population.
1: Fantastic, that's interesting. And did you see that there's an anti-psychiatry museum here in, in town, in Hollywood?
0: I did not, but that sounds like something I would like. It's
1: anti-psychiatry. It, it's, it kind of says that psychiatry is, is evil. And, you know, I think it's mm. the same people, the anti-vaxxers are the same people who go there, maybe. But, um, yeah, check it out. Might be just up your street. <laughs> Nobody's already been. You're not, uh, you look no, looking.
3: Like... sounds cool. Well, interesting.
1: <laughs> and Emily.
3: Hello, so I'm uh, Emily Maguire and I work at Cardiff University and I'm a cell biologist and um, I'm trying to understand how, so recently in GWAS studies or genome-wide association studies it was found that a particular variant in an enzyme called PLC gamma 2 uh, reduces your risk of getting Alzheimer's, so basically uh, trying to figure out how this might work in cells.
1: Brilliant. At at the end of the day. (laughs) Oh, that sounds really interesting. Thanks very much, everybody, again, for, for joining us. So, um, actually, do you know what? Before we move on, I think we might come... I might just come back to you, Emily, because um, I just want to talk a little bit about your own presentations. So you're delivering a talk tomorrow, not yet.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Thursday,
1: the conference is a five-day conference, but it's only half day on the last day, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Um,
1: so what are you presenting on tomorrow? Uh,
3: so tomorrow I'm presenting on not, not only my work, but uh, the work of from me and several other labs in the UK DRI. So it's a collaboration to try and understand the role of this variant in the pathology of Alzheimer's. So uh, we've developed, so I've developed some, using CRISPR, some stem cell models of this PLC gamma 2 variant. And we've also developed some mouse models of this protective PLC gamma 2 variant. And we've done some computational modeling. And uh, the aim of all of this work uh, well, we, what we did is we demonstrated that this enzyme has enhanced function and enzyme activity within the variant and uh, hopefully uh, the aim is to do some drug screening to see if we can mimic this increased enzymatic activity in cells um, with the aim that maybe this would be helpful uh, in AD in the future. So that's that's basically what I'm going to be presenting tomorrow. and. Hopefully, people are still around and they haven't all <laughs> left early. No, no that
1: <laughs> sounds really, really interesting. And um, so that's under the that's at the DRI, the Dementia Research yeah, Institute. Yeah,
3: so that's at the UK DRI in Cardiff.
1: For those that the aren't in the, the UK. UK, oh, yeah. well, good luck with the talk. And Claire, you've been presenting as well.
0: Yeah, so um, I started off the week presenting at the Tech conference um, at the start, so the pre-conference, and I was talking about the Game Changer Citizen Science um, study we've been running with Alzheimer's Society, um, which launched last September, and the aim is to get people all around the UK um, completing five minutes a day for a month um, smartphone-based tasks that we've developed. And then I also presented today, um, talking about our naturalistic speech processing task, And also our executive function task, again, both administered by smartphone and some of our early kind of validation evidence in comparison to in-clinic tests.
1: Fantastic. And how has that been received? Have you had lots of interest?
0: Yeah, so um, everybody seems really enthusiastic about Game Changer. I think the nice thing is not just how many people we've involved, but how many people have stuck with it for the whole 30 days. Um, and people seem quite receptive to the kind of more novel approach we've taken to behavioural assessment via the smartphone, so not just kind of translating the pen and paper tests, but kind of developing our own.
1: And what, what is the retention rate? I mean, how many people do reliably come back and do this?
0: Uh, so we analysed it for the first um, 10,000 people, and I think average compliance was about 70-something percent, which was kind of comparable to what we got from the kind of prevent cohort that we piloted in, um, and the majority of people are still active by day thirty, and um, so that is by far the most common kind of exit date from the study. So
1: seventy percent. That that's cool. And do you do you, do you kind of take you know because uh, the learning from. Game apps where they they make themselves. What's the word? Not sticky. It used to be sticky, didn't it? Websites become sticky. What do apps become? Is there a, an equivalent of sticky? Like mean? addictive? Sticky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, you've all got those apps. I mean, how do you how do you make this like Twitter, where you feel the need to check it every three times a day? So
0: kind of like the Candy Crush. Um, yeah, that's right. So. I guess we have like a few kind of features of gamification in there. So simple things like giving people gold stars when they do something well seems to really work. Um, But returning to what James was saying, we also did a lot of kind of patient and public involvement around the kind of design of the um, tasks that we've produced. Um, So thinking about what makes people enjoy it, what makes it easy, like cutting down on kind of the wordy instructions and just letting people get to it um, seems to work.
1: They figure it out. I always, it's always annoying when, you know, you do so many things and then you have a little countdown timer saying you've got to wait five hours before you can do this again and mm-hmm. then want to check whether your five hours is up. Mm. It's just me. I, saying that, though, I'm, I'm sat here, and as I've been walking here today, I was doing Harry Potter Wizards Unite, <laughs> which is you know, the, uh, the app version of the new Pokemon equivalent. Okay, so, we'll get on game changing. I've collected yeah. loads of stuff this week. <laughs> Well, I've been here. Thanks very much, Claire. All right, so let's let's have a think about beyond your own presentations. What have we seen today that's been particularly interesting? James, do you want to? Is there anything you want to pick out first?
2: Yeah, it's been a really interesting day. Um, I mean, it started off. I went to a session called Clinical Trials Other, and it's only one of about three clinical trials uh, sessions in the whole conference, I think. Which again tells us where I think this field is at. We've seen so much basic research. And we're waiting for that to really bring us trials. And I think um, the name of the study is interesting, other, meaning I guess that means not amyloid. Um, but within it, there were a couple of really interesting presentations. Um, and the first one um, was looking at a particular new drug. It was an HDAC uh, inhibitor for those that are interested and in testing this in um, a genetic population who are who highly susceptible to developing FTD. Um, and they presented the results, and unfortunately the trial was negative. It didn't work. This drug will not help people with FTD. But we always hear that when people present negatives, oh, we learn from the failures kind of thing. And so they went on and they presented the new, um, one of their biomarker data from this study, the FTG PET, uh, that they were actually able to validate as a biomarker in that in that cohort. So it really brought to life that kind of thing. We do learn when drugs don't work, and they are really important human uh, experimental studies that really gained from. So that was kind of the first thing. And then the second thing, I think, was a, a piece of good news, and it was a, a presentation from um, from Merck on one of their drugs that uh, they have licensed at the moment for insomnia. Um, it's an anti orexin uh, antagonist, again, for those that uh, want to look at this. And um, they ran a 300-person trial in early AD, Uh, to actually see if it could help people that had sleep difficulties. And um, it's it's actually, um, which is a really, we know at the Alzheimer's Society is a a common and um, a a, a real problem for both the person with dementia but also families that live close by. If people aren't sleeping, it it often leads to crisis and kind of that's what takes people into care homes. So... um, well the good news is that this does actually seem to be a drug that can help people with with uh, who struggle with sleep problems both in the longer duration of sleep and with quality of sleep and so uh, that's um, it wasn't the first time it's been presented the, the results came out in May but that's now going under FDA regulation for um, for use in Alzheimer's sleep so uh, clinicians who I know really struggle with this and we've done some funding with ucl on this kind of work um we'll hopefully have some new options for for sleep uh in the not too distant future
1: now that's interesting because i know that i know that particular trial because we i did some work to support recruitment and they they were finding it really hard to recruit to that trial i think the criteria for testing it was was quite tricky so it's great that that some things come through that the the first one you mentioned there was that commercial or was that non-commercial the drug trial it
2: was a um, it was a, a commercial study. Oh, okay, fantastic. Yeah,
3: it's it's really good that um, the Alzheimer's Association are like giving people talks to show null no results because it's been such a problem in the scientific community with people doing experiments that have already been done, but nobody knows that they've already been done. It's just such a massive. Waste of funding and resources. When, well, when I think one of the problems
1: isn't. is actually persuading those companies to come forward and present. Not that there are yeah, opportunities, yeah, yeah. it's sharing that data. In fact, that's actually something we've been looking at in our offices about how we can encourage more data sharing, particularly kind of not just negative results, but also disregarded data, particularly mm-hmm. um, from uh, animal model testing, where this data just didn't prove what you wanted so it just gets set to one side that that if that was put into a repository and shared that could be very helpful
3: it's true i think with other fields like i I think in psychology they have like journals of no results where people publish these studies so maybe we need to be and also
2: bioarchive and other kind of pre-peer-reviewed um archives that are um, we're certainly supportive of of the alzheimer's society that mean that people can at least share information and it comes with a caveat, it hasn't been peer reviewed, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, we need to disseminate faster, so agree completely.
1: Brilliant, thanks James. What about you, Claire? Did you see anything particular today?
0: Um, So I spent the afternoon at the lifestyle intervention um, session, which was quite interesting. So I'd say like the main take home I took from that is that we need to be kind of more targeted so we can't just say exercise is going to benefit everyone although it probably will but like say if you have like a higher risk of say and the speaker i saw uh, was um, somebody called brown and she was saying that if you have an e4 allele and you do more exercise the effects are more beneficial um, and then there was also a talk on kind of precision precision medicine and how we can kind of target interventions for those at greater risk and what that risk factor is and so i thought that was really important
1: precision medicine that's that's three days running precision medicine's been mentioned actually four days i think every day precision medicine's been mentioned here it's um on the podcast between targeted treatments but also as well if you can target prevention as well that seems to make sense I think on exercise levels, I saw a poster earlier that was trying to not necessarily get people to exercise who otherwise wouldn't do, but at least maintain the kind of exercise that they had as their condition started to, uh, you know, uh, deteriorate so that they, you know, potentially had the the benefits that, that come through a, a healthier lifestyle. Whether that's proved cognitively, but, you know, I suppose having a healthy lifestyle might at least mean you've got a healthier body, which means you can fend off some of those other those are the comorbidities that we know affect people while they're living with uh, dementia. Brilliant. Sorry, James, you looked
2: like you were going to ask a question of, of Claire no, there. I no, didn't. no, did. didn't no I didn't. We did to make a on. No, I, I, that's stop. my poker face, Adam. That's my <laughs> poker face. I mean, I think the word precision medicine is really interesting. We're beginning to learn that Alzheimer's disease is probably a heterogeneous Oh, got that word wrong, didn't I? But lots of different diseases that actually underlie it and maybe... We're calling that precision medicine, but it's just us actually understanding the different mechanisms of underlying biology a bit more. And and so, um, yeah, it is, of course, going to be very popular and topical. I suppose uh,
1: before I come to you Emily it's quite hard to pick on something particularly because we've got the benefit now of we've we've been here for several days mm. so I'm kind of you haven't had an opportunity to pick out anything from the last few days as well that might have interested you so uh, before I, it, you don't have to just pick on something today Emily if there's something you've seen earlier on in the week that that you thought was interesting um, right, from your field
3: well Thinking about it, because we, because we just talked, well, I think it's because we just talked about precision medicine, and that kind of reminded me of uh, the plenary earlier where Bart Distrupe, because he's head of the UK DRI, and obviously, so that's where I work, <laughs> so I'm am a fan of his, and he's talking about the role of microglia, and also he was talking a lot about the role of uh, risk genes that have been decided via GWAS and how they might be having an effect on the phenotype and because we'll be able to build a profile of what kind of risk genes people have now in the future if we're if we're looking at how these risk genes influence the microglia and the phenotype then precision medicine to target specific risk genes that people have would probably be useful rather than just kind of generally targeting amyloid beta Well, if we know that they might be at risk of developing dementia due to changes in a specific process or pathway then this is probably yeah basically i thought well actually
1: that 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 moves us (laughs) that moves us on quite nicely to bart's talk because i think bart was the uh, headline speaker today was he would you count that no or are we being unfair to david walk that presented from pennsylvania that presented before him actually let's talk about bart's talk since we're on that what what james what did you make of
2: bart's presentation
1: what was it? It was called Cellular Phases of AD, was the it title. It was,
2: yes, and this is, um, I think, a, a really based on a seminal paper, that Bar- a seminal review in Cell that Bart wrote a few years ago that really suggests that we'd um, studied the biochemical phase of Alzheimer's disease in a lot of detail and not the downstream cellular and physiological consequences of that and really trying to fill in that group. And indeed, the UK DRI is really built on trying to fill that void of knowledge. Um, I mean, Bart gave a superb talk, I think some of the early slides that he presented that showed where we were compared to cancer and HIV, just in the volume of papers that are being produced annually, that we're about 5% of the of papers compared to cancer each year, it just shows that where we are in the field and where we've got to go.
1: Right, did you manage to see that one as well, Claire?
0: I did, I thought it was a really, really great talk, um... I guess like the things that I thought were really interesting, as well as the um, kind of discussion of where Alzheimer's research sits in relation to cancer, um, was the kind of discussion about how we look at kind of amyloid, which starts 30 years before kind of clinical symptoms. And then we try and compare it to these kind of characterisation of dementia later in life. And we really need to be thinking about um, developing kind of functional assays earlier in the lifespan
1: i, I mean, yeah i mean I, I wrote a few there were a few i mean i think it's fair to say it was a little bit a few a few things out there that people might not necessarily have liked to hear or a
2: few yeah, controversial he did, but i think that's what we need to do i mean we really need to test our hypotheses that we have in the field and yep. towards the end bart was starting to just ask in a very um, in a very com- where, where's the genetic evidence that tau is important in ad and and his his kind of um, suggestion to the audience was that the evidence was was not really there um, and, and so i think that's quite provocative yeah. um, and and we need to test ourselves with those kind of theories
1: absolutely it specifically said isn't it? The, the genetic evidence of tau is very weak unlike amyloid and tau pathology is likely neurodegenerative response and removing it might not make a difference
2: Time will tell. He
1: also said that he thought that we weren't learning enough from the failed drug trials. Which he, he said that there was more that could be learnt from that as well. And what I've written in my notes here that that we shouldn't be targeting all the enzymes at once, which is what they've tried to do up to now. Does that sound reasonable?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean I was I was thinking about with regards to like exploring other pathways. I mean we all know that in in fields um, scientists you can become very invested in an idea or a theory and uh, tau and amyloid are obviously, they're obviously important in Alzheimer's but if we continue to p- focus primarily on them then we're missing so many opportunities to explore the complexity of the disease and and I think it's really important to look at these other areas I mean I think it can really hold a field back if you um, Based on previous observations, kind of become very invested in a theory and then don't. Step I, I, I wrote of that. down
1: the final. The, the I mean, this is quote of a bitum from his final slides, which was, FAD mutant mutants point unequivocally to amyloid beta. Uh, GWAS studies point very much at microglia. Genetic risk of AD is largely determined by microglia's response to amyloid beta. This, this is also sound right. Um, where is tau in that there was a question mark after that mm. and then the importance he also pointed out the importance of multicellular models and that mice brain s- aren't the same as human brains and that we needed to increase use of ips mm. cells
2: yeah like i don't want to um speak too much more t- to this because I, I'm, I'm not particularly informed but i think it's important that uh, in kind of taking this away that bart was talking about the role of uh, tau in AD, and we know that there are other tauopathies where there isn't amyloid, and so I, I don't think his statements were applying to all forms of dementia. But um, and, and I don't think it's exactly what he necessarily thinks. But I think he's just putting it there as a hypothesis that we we need to be challenging ourselves about what we think we understand about the disease
1: and and i thought that point he made at the start that we shouldn't be surprised that there hasn't been progress in drug treatments because when you compare to the number of cancer trials like you were uh, saying before claire the number the failure rate on cancer trials is actually proportional to the failure rate on ad trials it's just that there are a lot less ad trials so every you feel every failure slightly more than you do in cancer where there are you know so many more things going on but yeah interesting talk by 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 Bart, I think everybody came away with something to think about from that one, which was interesting. Um before that we did have David Walk, um, who was talking about neuro uh, imaging and neurogeneration. What's new? Yeah, well, Is there anything well, new?
3: One, I guess in a in a similar so because I don't do like MRI stuff, um, some of it was went over my head a little bit, but what I thought was interesting is that, so in, in Bart's talk, he was talking about how we should be looking at these earlier stages in part. And also with the with the previous one, with the MRI data, and they had patients uh, before the onset of clinical symptoms of AD. And I think that they found changes in a specific brain region that wasn't present during the, the other stages. So maybe I thought that that was really useful because if we're talking about going earlier, then in
0: the future that could that could be really good for that.
1: Absolutely. Did anybody else catch that talk?
0: Yeah, again, I thought it was really good. Um, I think this is kind of what you were saying, but I thought like the more nuanced breakdown of kind of like the medial temporal lobe regions was really um, kind of interesting and they're kind of trying to separate the earliest stages of disease, but also the kind of disease signature from the aging signature. I thought that was really interesting. Um,
1: I, I wrote down in notes that he was saying that, particularly that we're seeing more post-mortem MRI imaging needed to be done, and combining the link with histology, and that more clever use of that was was making a difference, and using, just modernising, using creating three D printing, three D printing molds to to whole brain so you can you can, um, mm-hmm. fMRI those, which is clever use of 3d printing printing
3: is everywhere now I don't um,
1: have you thought of a way you could
3: no I just (laughs) I think it's I mean it's off topic but you know how they use it in um, in like operations nowadays to kind of practice on the operations beforehand basically I just think it's entering in loads of areas of science Mm. and 3d printing is I think and it's so cheap as well
2: it's just to broaden this I think bringing the engineering sciences into Dementia research is something that both Bart suggested we needed to do and we, we others and others believe And you know, not Definitely. to talk about the DRI too much, but bringing on a new centre most recently with a focus on care and technology, that the attraction of that is bringing engineering into the field and we're seeing it in, in the UK DRI but also in other spaces and that kind of, again, the, diverse, the yeah. diversity of expertise we bring into research is only going to help us um, Broaden the number of Definitely. targets and focus that we have,
1: and um, the chap whose name suddenly escapes me made that point yesterday when he highlighted all the different roles of people in his team. There was an engineering yeah, there mm-hmm. moment, as well as a so cool. statistician, as well as the biologists, and you know these are the people that bring in together these these kind of multi-skilled teams.
3: Professor um, Littlelow.
2: That's right. Yeah, I mean we've Shame. seen some great, we've seen Super every cool. um, <laughs> every plenary talk we've seen I think has been really great in terms of the scientific content mm-hmm. but when you present to such a big audience as 6,000 and you've got all those dis- different disciplines I guess you really have to think about how you tailor what you're going to present so that you can bring everyone uh, with you uh, through through the whole part and I think um, certainly when you get on the stage like that people that bring in some personal anecdotes talk about The troubles as well as the beautiful successes that they've had, and that really um, spend appropriate time um, talking to the big team, the humongous team that's often got them up onto the plenary stage at AIC. It's it's really uh, great to see.
1: Absolutely. So, his final point was that MRI is still important with improvement in methodology. He was making a case for keeping MRIs, right? As everybody moves on. Yeah, and well newer new- <laughs> newer images
2: generally would. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: um, but no, I think you make it you make a, a a really good point, and we've talked about this this week as well about the importance of, of different disease areas coming in. I think one of the fantastic things about this conference is is that if you really wanted to stick to stick to what you feel comfortable with, you know, your home. What's the they, when they have it, a question of sport when you can have your home topic or an away mm-hmm. home or away. If you wanted to come to this conference and do home or away you really could you could just go to things all week which is in your comfort zone or you could go and see some other things and I think from the people I've spoken to they've definitely they've definitely spread out and thought do you know what actually this next session there's nothing going on that is in my comfort zone I'll go to see this and Hmm. hopefully create those connections I
3: think it's I think it's so important I think that um, people when you go to things outside of your comfort zone you can learn a lot from that about methodology or how you should be looking with a different perspective at what you do. Um, so if you just go to things in your comfort zone, then you're missing out on and a lot of all you Even
1: if all you do is take half an hour out of the day to, walk, to get your steps in and walk up and down the 55 <laughs> rows of posters, the 500 poster boards, which they are, fair enough, they're not all full, um, but 500 poster boards, you can't help but walk up and down there and find something that catches your eye or something interesting that's a little bit different. Um, Uh, Even if the people aren't there to talk to. My phone is now full of pictures of posters that I've got to read later on, (laughs) which I'll find time to do. Okay, so this was, this of course is day four. It's the last of our podcast today. So before we kind of start to think about wrapping things up, I just wanted to get, just generally get your reflections on the end of the conference. We're not doing another podcast. I know some of you haven't even presented yet, and I'm sure you're all going to be diligently here tomorrow, not going off. To the beach, yeah.
2: Few Looking at in the mirror, Adam. Stun <laughs> silencers. I'll, I'll be. Okay. He'll be down Muscle Beach. I'm sure. I'll be here tomorrow. Um, Adam Conventress.
1: So, so, what are your reflections on the conference? How how do you feel it's gone, James?
2: I mean, overall, it's been really interesting. I've enjoyed. Um, there's been a re- couple of sessions that have brought uh, the um, ageing and uh, dementia together. Um, I know you spoke about one on Monday that talked about DNA damage, and I really thought that was on the nail and really important and, and i mean a second theme that's really come out for me is there's been a lot more about inclusion and diversity they call it disparities that look quite a lot more over here in the in the u.s um And just this afternoon, I I co-hosted with the Alzheimer's Association, a a bringing together of all the global funders of dementia research to actually, we speak quite regularly, actually, to kind of understand what each other are doing and try to coordinate efforts. And we actually had an hour long session that, again, talked about as funders, what can we do to fund more inclusive and, and diverse research as well? And it's been really great through the conference to see that being a, an, an issue that we that everyone uh, it's different in every culture what exactly in every country what exactly that means but that's been kind of something that um has been more apparent in this meeting than i've seen in previous ones
1: yeah yeah i think that's interesting. in fact actually you know what you've just reminded me of something that i i meant to mention before that the very last session that i went to before i came here was about apa we do and it's uh, it's it's potential to be a What's the word I'm looking for? I'm looking to... Protective emil- Protective, that's right, to, to be a protective element. Now, you were talking about risk ones, and he was making a case to say that there's not enough going on to to potentially map out and look at the protective uh, genes, not just the risk ones. Are you looking at APOE2 as well, Yeah, Emily?
3: Yeah, we have um, APOE2 cells and APOE3 three and APOE4. And uh, one thing that I'm planning on doing is using, because you can use the condition medium from these... Uh, APOE 2, 3, and 4 cells and put them on, on the rest genes and see if there's any improvement. So that's also something uh, mm. that we're doing.
1: I'll put a link in. I can't remember exactly the name of the speaker. I was trying to find it on my phone while no, while James sounds, was talking. Yeah. I'll put it in and put a link in no, there but, for but you. But
2: just um, on the inclusion point, so a lot of the genetic studies you're doing are largely based on white Caucasian uh, studies and we know... You know we know what we know about the risk genes in white caucasians and the protective genes but if we go to other populations we don't actually know if the same genetic risk uh, no totally um, did
3: did you see the talk yesterday in the genetics no genetics session actually it was the of day of course it the day but remind yesterday. me <laughs> and uh so they did a big study well actually it wasn't as big as with like white caucasians because they simply didn't have uh, enough people involved, but the risk genes were very different, and there was very little overlap between African American risk genes and White Caucasian risk genes. Uh, but I think there was some overlap in the pathways that they were involved in. Uh, so, in this way, presumably it's the same pathways affected. So we can still get get quite a lot from looking at the risk genes. On both sides but yeah definitely more needs to be done more research needed in fact in order to confirm a GWAS study usually you confirm it in several different data sets but because i think they could only scrape together enough for one data set they haven't been able to confirm it yet so definitely we need to get more people involved in that
1: i had a question about um, i'm going to (laughs) ask it off i'm I'm not going to appear too stupid i'm going to ask it once recording stopped (laughs) i need to make a note to remember that um Uh, Claire anything any reflections on the
0: um I guess like I definitely recommend it as a conference I think because it's quite long um you really get a chance to kind of immerse yourself in Alzheimer's research for however many days it's been um and there's also quite a lot of kind of good social events like I think we're off to the early careers researchers event tonight um so it's like a really good opportunity to get to know people in your field.
1: Yeah, to network and to meet people as well. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. I mean,
3: on the the networking note, they've definitely done that well. When they had an event the other night, um, everybody's really, really friendly and willing to chat. And there's such a wide variety of people there. So I talked to a lot of people who are researchers, a lot of uh, clinicians from pharmaceutical companies, and also some people who work in dementia care. Um, so it was really good to...
1: Was this your first AICM? Yes. It was. And it, I would imagine it's right over your street, right? Because, I mean, the, the work you're doing has been yeah, talked about lots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, night, I'm happy that like microglia
3: are, are so popular at the moment <laughs> because... Uh, Like microglia.
1: Well, and if you haven't already listened, we did record and publish a podcast a few weeks ago called, which they named they named it themselves. I should add that it was called Fifty Shades on (laughs) Microglia. The team team from Edinburgh, Um, they picked their own name. We didn't do it. Um, That was that's available in our podcast feed on iTunes and SoundCloud (laughs) and uh, Spotify. You can find that there. Uh, Okay, Um, I'm gonna wrap things up there. Although before I do, can I just ask, did anybody go to the talk about stress granules? Oh, No, everybody's looking at me with blank faces. Nobody did. Okay, we did Adam? But remind me. No, we didn't. I, I'm. I'm gonna. I. I promise. We've talked about stress granules every day. It was M- Maria Carillo mentioned it right at the start. She thought it was important, and then we haven't had none of our twelve panelists actually managed to make it to that talk. But we've talked about it a lot, so I feel like we should go. away. I'm gonna find somebody to write a pog. A, a pog. It's a bit like a blog. <laughs> Um, I'm going to find somebody to write a blog on stress granules and make sure that's with you sometime next week. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. The conference does continue tomorrow, but we won't be recording today. Listeners uh, can contact our panelists on uh, Twitter, except for Emily, who's not on Twitter. Sorry. (laughs) That's all right. Uh, Claire and James, can people get hold of you on Twitter if they have questions? Right, of course. your Twitter names? Let's get those out there.
2: Uh, James Pickett, one, two.
0: CLL underscore Lancaster.
1: Fantastic. Thank you very much. And do you all head home immediately after the conference? Are you going back today, James? Tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow. Not tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us today. Please remember to subscribe and um, leave a review of our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify and tell your friends and colleagues it's been great to bring these podcasts to you from the AIC. I particularly want to thank all of the 12 panelists who've joined us over the last uh, four days. You can find profiles on all of our panelists on our website uh, with details of how to contact them as well if you have any questions about their own work or their presentations. Um, And uh, if you want to see more reflections on the conference and catch up on particular talks, you can find those on Twitter using the hashtag, search on the hashtag uh, AAIC19. Thank you very much and uh, we'll be back with our usual recordings uh, a week on Monday in about 10 days time. Thank you.
0: This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.